Happy Father's Day, everybody. I'm Pastor Steve Hogg here at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and I'm praying that every dad has a great day. You deserve it. God created you in his image, and you reflect him to your kids when you live according to his teaching. And I know many of you are doing that and are such a blessing to your children and to your wife, to churches and to our communities. So happy Father's Day. Thank you for being a great dad. In our worship service today, Brother Chris Howe, who is our pastor for college students and high school students, is going to be preaching. Monisa and I are actually on vacation visiting our daughter in California, and I appreciate Chris preaching in my absence. He's going to have a great word for you from God's word, and I encourage you to listen carefully. Again, happy Father's Day. Let's pray, and then you'll hear Brother Chris. Father in heaven, thank you for creating us as men in your image, and for giving us the privilege and the joy of knowing you and reflecting you to our family and to everyone we encounter. I thank you for the dads who are worshiping with us today, who are listening to the message that Chris is going to preach, and I pray you touch their hearts and bless their lives. I pray that your hand of favor will be upon them and that you bring good into their lives and that you do good through them making a difference in so many lives. Thank you for them. Bless them. Now speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, it's great to be back with you again. I know it's been a while, and uh, so I'm excited to be here with you on Father's Day. Uh, be praying for Pastor Steve. He's out in California, so that should be your first prayer. The second one is he's attending uh, the Southern Baptist Convention out there, and uh, if you've been paying attention any in the last couple of weeks, you know they have some uh, heavy lifting to do as a convention and leadership, so be praying for that. Uh, but today as we dive in, I've entitled this message, Man Up. Uh, I, I know it sounds kind of odd for a Father's Day message, but just trust me, hang with me for a little bit. I think you'll understand it. But here's what I want you to do. I, in your mind today, I want you to wonder. I'm not talking about wondering if this message is going to be long or short or if this message is going to be good or bad. I mean, I don't need that kind of pressure today. Um, I put enough of that on myself already. What I want you to do is I want you to wonder about your neighborhood. Let's wonder about your work environment. Let's wonder about where you go to school. Uh, so think about driving home. As you're driving home and you pass houses, you pass identifying marks, um, how do you know? How, how do you identify them? Do you identify them as the, the pretty brick on the corner? Uh, do you identify it as, man, those are the people that never cut their grass? Uh, I would love to tell you that we have maybe somebody in our neighborhood like that, but some of you may know where I live, so I'm going to hold that to myself, although I think I just said it. Um, do, do you think, man, they have the teenager that has the truck that squatted in the front and lifted in the back, and if you're like me and you don't understand that whole concept, Neither do I, but I sure am hoping that South Carolina outlaws that and makes it illegal sometime. Maybe you stroll into your office and the smell of the factory or the smell of the plant or maybe the perfume or the cologne that somebody sits near you wears or that you, when you pass them, you smell. Maybe it's uh, something that a fellow worker wear, wears. They, they wear it all the time. You, you notice that. Maybe it's an overcoat, a sweater, or something like that. Uh, maybe it's a picture that hangs on the wall. So as our mind wanders, we have these identifying marks uh, that mark out where that is, what that is, who that is, 
that sort of thing. And so let me ask you a question, men, since it's Father's Day. How do others see you and I? What, what is our identifying mark, if you will, when people think about us or when they see us? Uh, what words do they tie us to? Um, there's there's a plethora there that maybe we could come up with in our minds. But today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Then he goes on to say, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. We live in a crazy world. One that since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve in the garden has been somewhat on a downward spiral. I think we could look back through history and we could say some of times it went fast, sometimes it went slow. But the trend has always been downward because at the beginning it was supposed to be perfect. And then when sin entered in, something just changed. If we look at history books, if we look at scripture, if we look at blogs or newscasts, we can see evidence of this downward spiral. So over the last years, we've seen a decay and that decay has been in something we call a mass shooting. In 2021, 31 dead, 7 injured. In 2020, 9 dead. In 2019, 73 dead and at least 112 injured. In 2018, 80 dead and 70 injured. And in 2017, 117 dead and 587 injured. That number was so large in 2017 because if you remember, that's when the mass shooting in Las Vegas took place. I did some research and preparing for the sermon, and one of the things that I found out is in most mass shootings, especially in a school setting, there was one thing missing in the shooter's life, and that was a dad. In the last week since Uvalde, Texas shooting uh, there in that elementary school, we've, we've heard a range of ideas given to stop such violence that we should give schools more security, that, that perhaps we should tighten the gun laws and, and change a little bit of the way the Second Amendment is written or understood, that maybe we should retrain our law enforcement and first responders on how to respond to situations like that, that maybe we should blame the right or maybe we should blame the left. But I want to submit to you today that I believe the number one problem rests on the shoulders of men. I know that's a that's a heavy word to be said here on Father's Day, and we're supposed to be celebrating our dads and being celebrated as a man. Uh, but but I want to say that I believe today the problem rests on the shoulders of men, and I am one of them. Fifteen years ago or so, I remember going through a Bible study early on Monday mornings, and it, it seemed like it lasted forever. But the truth is, it was probably only about eight or ten weeks. And the Bible study was called Authentic Manhood. Here I was, I'd already been in the Marine Corps, come out, I was serving uh, in the ministry after working a secular job, and I thought, man, I don't need somebody to teach me what authentic manhood was. I mean, I think I got that nailed down. I found that going through this eight to ten week study of authentic manhood, there were really three things uh, that we learned. One is that we're to accept responsibility. As men, we got to accept responsibility, good or bad but we can't reject the responsibility Two, that we do have to reject passivity, meaning that we don't get the opportunity just to sit on the sideline and watch the world revolve around us without being involved in it. We can't be passive when it comes to our relationship with our spouse. We can't be passive 
when it comes to the raising of our kids. And we can't be passive in our relationship with Christ. And then third, that we had to look for the greater reward. See, here's what we learned in that study is that everything in our life has a greater reward. It's not about the moment that we're in that may look bleak. It's about the greater reward that exists on the other side of that. But Paul says this about biblical manhood. He says that we are to be alert, that we are to stand firm, that we are to, to, to be strong. And so as we look at this, Paul also says that a real man's life and all that he does should be clearly marked with love. And if you're confused about what love is, Paul clarifies that in 1 Corinthians, the same book in chapter 13, and what we would commonly known as the love chapter. In that, he says this, that love is patient, that love is kind, and it's not jealous, that love does not brag, and it's not arrogant. He goes on to say that um, it does not become act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So Paul is very clear about what that love should look like. So men, what are you known for? You and I, just take a minute, what are we known for? What are those identifiers? Is this a marker on your life, being love and these things about being strong in our faith? All right. Do people identify us by these things? If you will, permit me just to say a little more. I want to take a look at Paul's points, at what Paul points out in the next two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn there with me, I would greatly appreciate it. Paul writes this. He says, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love in verse 13. And then in verse 15, he says, now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. In verse 16, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the works and labors. So Paul writes this, this kind of mandate, if you will, to men, but then he follows it up with an example. So as we dive into three things that I believe Paul states very clearly through the life of Stephanas, would you pray with me? Father God, we love you and thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather around whatever digital advice that we've gathered around today. And God, I pray that as we do that, as we open your word, as we discuss and look and what it means not only to celebrate Father's Day, but to be a biblical man. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the things that you have to say to us. And God, this message is not just for men and women are to be left out on the sideline because the truth is, most of the time, every woman is looking for a biblical man, at least they should be. And so they need to know what they're looking for today. And so, God, I pray that you would speak, speak clearly and speak boldly. And may everything we do bring you honor and glory. We love you and say these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. So Paul, in talking about Stephanus in these next two verses, says this. Paul says that Stephanus was among the first fruits of Achaia. We find in Acts chapter 18, as Paul is preaching, uh, in Acts chapter 18, we see that his preaching is, is persuasion. Matter of fact, he is doing this through a dialogue in the Jewish synagogue. And one of the Greek words that's used there is the word that where we get dialogue today. But Paul was in this ministry of persuasion, if you will. 
He stands up in the synagogue in front of this Jewish people and he starts persuading them about the gospel, trying to tell them what the gospel is and persuading them to come to faith in Christ. He, he's not very successful. The Jewish leader there pretty much kicks him out of the church. And as he kicks Paul out of the church in Acts, in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, Paul responds this way. It says, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own head. I am clean. So here the, the leader of the Jewish synagogue kicks Paul out for trying to be a, a minister of persuasion when it comes to the gospel. Paul leaves, he goes right next door and continues to do what he's doing to the Gentiles. Now, here, here's a side note that I would encourage you to go back and look at Acts chapter 18, is when Paul leaves and goes over to the house beside it and begins his ministry of persuasion to the Gentiles, that same Jewish leader that just kicked him out ends up coming over to the house and coming to, to faith in Christ by listening to Paul at that place. Needless to say, we, we find that in the middle of this time, is when Stephanus comes to know Christ. Uh, matter of fact, if we if we go and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this about Stephanus, as people are questioning him about baptism, that sort of thing. He says, now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. So Paul was very instrumental in leading Stephanus to Christ. So we see in this that one of the biblical manhood things, if you will, that Paul states is that we are to be converted converted so here's a question for you men are you known in your neighborhood are you known in your workplace are you known in the gym in the school wherever it is that your feet take you are you known as a man that has been converted see we we, we trust jesus christ as our personal savior and we ask for forgiveness of our sins and, and, and when we do that we do that banking the rest of eternity on that decision that through God's grace and through his mercy and through the work of Jesus on the cross, that our lives have been converted from this sinful life to this new life, which Paul talks about in the New Testament. Maybe you need to know what conversion looks like. We talk about it. We see it. We see kind of this iffy. Um, I, I, I will. I don't know another better, better way to put this. Maybe we see this cheesy response to it that somebody has just um, watered down what the gospel is and what the response should be. And, and so there's this hazard type approach to it. Like, yeah, I want to know Jesus is my personal savior. I'll pray a prayer and we walk off. But are we truly converted? So I want you to understand and get a picture today of what true conversion looks like. Micah, the gentleman that you're getting ready to be introduced to, uh, was a Mormon missionary. You'll, you'll hear more about his story. Um, I was able to identify with him on a, on a certain level because I spent several years myself in the Mormon faith because of my parents and where they kind of led us to as we were kids. Um, so I want you to watch this video. It's 16 minutes. I'll be up front with you. Um, but I do believe it is powerful and engaging. And so I want you to watch this. Uh, my name is Micah, and uh, I am privileged and honored to be able to share uh, what God has done in my life and how he transformed me uh, from a very religious man to a trophy of his grace. Um, I grew up in the state of Indiana in a very strong and faithful Mormon home where I was taught that it was in and through my works and in, in and through my religious acts 
that I could make myself right with God. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 10, he says that they had a zeal for God, referring to the Jews, but not according to knowledge, and that they were ignorant of the righteousness of God, and that they sought to establish their own. And that described me as a young Mormon man, as I did not believe that God gave me his love freely, and I did not believe that I was saved by grace as a free gift. I believed that I had to earn my way into God's love and prove myself to God and show him that I was worthy enough to be saved. And I was very much like Saul before he became Paul. I was a very zealous, religious young man. In Galatians, Paul says that he was advancing in Judaism beyond many people his own age. How extremely zealous was he for the traditions of his fathers? And that was very much the type of young man that I was. Uh, When I was a teenager, we actually picked up and left the state of Indiana and moved right to the heart of Mormonism to Alpine, Utah, Uh, which is a city that is, no exaggeration, about 99% uh, Mormon. And uh, my mom was actually a professor at Brigham Young University. If you guys are familiar with BYU, uh, it's a private Mormon school in Utah. And it just kind of goes to show the type of zeal that our family had for this religion. So I graduated from high school, and I went to a semester at BYU. And when I turned 19, I did what's customary in the Mormon church, and that's to go on a two-year mission trip. Have you guys seen the Mormon missionaries? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay, white shirts, name tags, ties. Okay, I'm sure you've seen them riding their bicycles, and they might have even knocked on your doors, and you might have even spoken with them. Well, that's tradition in the Mormon church because you want to go out and convert people because we were taught from the time that we were children that there was no salvation outside of the Mormon church. And the only way to be saved was in and through the religious acts and works and ordinances that were provided through that particular religion. We were not taught in the the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And so uh, when I was 19, as you can see, I went into the missionary training center in Provo, Utah, and went on my two-year mission trip. And I actually got sent to Orlando, Florida. And what you may or may not know is that Orlando is a very evangelical and Bible-based area. And I didn't understand this at the time, so I was a little naive as a young Mormon missionary, but I was convinced that I was just going to get to Orlando and convert everybody that I saw and be the greatest missionary ever. And so I got there and I was being very zealous and and trying to convert people into my faith and riding my bicycle and knocking on doors. And I'd been there for a few months and I got a little, you know, what you might say overzealous in my attempt to convert others because I actually attempted to convert a Baptist minister and his whole congregation to the Mormon church, um, which I was unsuccessful in, by the way. Um, But it did open an opportunity for God to begin an amazing work in my life. And as I sat down with this Baptist minister to share with him the Mormon gospel, uh, it opened up an opportunity for God to speak through this man and to share.